Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, you're, today you're going to want to subscribe and hit that notification bell because this game, this episode is going to change your life guaranteed. If you're a business owner and you're tired of working for money and your money's not working for you, this episode with Chris is going to blow your mind. He's an author podcast host. He's the Swiss army knife of finances, and he's helped his clients over the last 12 years generate over $300 million of income that they're using to better their life and not just working to work. So Chris, welcome to the show, brother. How are you doing today? Man, I am awesome. So grateful to be here, especially with, and it's such an amazing group of people like you guys. I mean, uh, I'm humbled. I really am because you guys are you guys have done so much for our country and done so much in our own lives that we don't even appreciate. We just sleep peaceful at night and just uh, take granted for all the crap that we have in our lives and our first world problems. So, yeah, I'm really, really honored to be here. Oh, brother, it's my honor. Um, by the way, if you notice your numbers have gone up in your podcast, it's because I've been listening to every episode. So <laughs> I, I, I take the credit for it all. Uh, your book mind blown. Um, I've read it twice. I'm on my third iteration right now. So, uh, but first of all, the first question I always ask, but I always forget. So at least time I remember this this time, what is your definition of resiliency? Because we know that in the last two years, um, this country has changed, business has changed and a lot of businesses had to pivot. Mm -hmm. So what is your definition of resiliency? Yeah, I know some people look at resiliency as being something like that's firm, rigid, standing your ground, like immovable, right? Um, I see it the opposite. I see it as actually something where you become more flexible, right? Uh, it's more like anti-fragile. If you've heard that term being used out there before, which is, you know, the more rigid you are, the more fragile you actually become, the easier you are to break. But if you can move and bend and sway with things, still you can be planted, but you really have this ability to to adjust and 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 move with circumstances and, and really move on the fly. I think that's really what it is to be resilient. It's about having your roots centered and being grounded, but being flexible enough to move with the circumstances and while still keeping your values intact. So that's kind of like what Bruce, Bruce Lee used to talk about. Be, be like water, like water. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Um, so tell us a little bit about, give us a little background where you come from, where did you grew up um, and how did you become the man that you are today? Yeah, so I, I grew up out near Portland, Oregon, uh, before it got really, really crazy and, and a lot of psychotic people out there. But, uh, you know, I grew up in very, you know, very small town. I and mean, if you ever, you know, if you want to cue the song, you know, from John Cougar Mellencamp, small town, I mean, that was that was like my life, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s and such. Um, but I was raised by parents that were hardworking, good people, but, uh, you know, very middle class, but they didn't really understand money. Like they were, they would, they would teach us great values, but when it came to money, it was scarcity, right? We can't afford this. You know, my dad especially would say things like, what do you think I am made of money? I'm not, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, he would even say things like, you know, I'm going to work until I'm dead. He would say this all the time to me growing up. And uh, I mean, then he was a very strict man. Like, I mean, he was just like, I mean, he was, you know, a Vietnam veteran and everything. I mean, so he was just like on us all the time. And when it came to money, man, that guy was a penny pincher. I mean, he was so cheap that, uh, you know, the guy at the 7-Eleven would hide the pennies, you know, because he knew my dad was coming in. You know, he was so cheap, he would steal salt and pepper shakers from Chinese restaurants. True story. 
Um, that one is at least, you know, I mean, the guy was just dirt, dirt cheap. Um, the ultimate saver depression era mentality kind of guy. And, um, you know, so I vowed, I, as of course, like all kids, you never want to become like your parents. So I vowed not to become like him. Well, as time went on, I went to college. I was the first one in my family actually to go to college. And while I was there, I realized that I wanted to have control of my own time, my freedom, right? I started to have that entrepreneurial bug start to bite me. And I was going to go into business consulting. That was going to be my, my real goal is go through college, get my MBA, get, you know, go be a business consultant. But right before I got my bachelor's, I thought, well, shouldn't I have real life experience first? So I dropped out of college, took a little hiatus, and I became a financial advisor because I didn't realize at the time they could take anybody that had a heartbeat and could pass, at least pass a test with a 70%. Well, that was me. I was that guy. Didn't really know anything about money other than I thought if I could learn something good, maybe I can give my dad some of his life back. So then he wouldn't have to work until he's dead, like he kept telling me growing up. Well, a few years later, I sit down with my dad, that same kitchen table, he's giving me all of his scarcity money advice. And I'm sitting down with him. He's 61 years old. He says, all right, Chris, here it is. What can I do? And I look at his numbers and his situation. And you know, he paid his house off early. He was so proud of that. that he, I mean, he was so proud of what he did. I'm like, he would have made Dave Ramsey proud, right? I mean, he was that kind of guy. He's like, he was the cheap, saver, pay off your debt kind of guy. He did everything Dave Ramsey said and then some. But here's the problem. I looked at his numbers. I said, dad, if you didn't have social security coming in, you would have to hope to die in five years because you have five years worth of money left and that's it. You would run out of money. You're done. Now, granted, his lifestyle, he'd been smoking since the Vietnam War, so he'd been smoking for decades. Um, he, he, the guy is you know, eating fast food. You know, we pretty much assumed he was going to die quickly anyways. But he's saying, well, Chris, that's not what I want to hear. I was hoping you'd say, good job. Here's what else you can do. And we can, you know, be free and happy. I can quit my job that I hate. I said, Dad, sorry. Um, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have anything. And it was really bugged me because remember, financial advisors are supposed to have the answers. We're supposed to be the experts. Yet I'm looking at the situation and he did everything a financial advisor would have recommended anyways. And this is right after Y2K. So of course his retirement got hit. This is before the Great recession hit even worse, right? I mean, he, he was he was right at that point where he's just having to delay retirement because it wasn't enough. And and I started to look at my other clients and it really came true when it really hit home. Just a few weeks later, I'm calling my friend, Doug, who used to be a financial advisor. I had trained him to be a financial advisor, but he quit to go do real estate investing. So I called him up thinking he's going to be broke doing real estate investing. And it was the opposite. Him and his dad partnered up on some deals. He's like, Chris, my dad's now doubled his income as a professor at the local university. I'm like, that guy was making almost hundred grand a year. And you're saying in four months, he's about double his income. Come on, that's too good to be true. There's no way. He's like, Chris, it's true. Let me ask you a question, Chris. How many of your clients are financially free where they don't worry about money? And I said, well, I have some retired doctors, but they still watch CNN. If you watch CNN, you always worry about everything because the sky is falling if you watch that station. So I said, none. None of them are financially free. Well, great job, Chris. Way to help nobody. How about this? How many of you guys as, as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, right? Not off the money you're making in your business, but actually doing these mutual fund investments, these retirement accounts. And as I thought about it, I said, well, I know there's guys been working there since the late 1970s and they can't retire yet. So I would have to say none. There's your problem, Chris. 
Hey, Doug, well, give me the answer. What's the answer? I'm not going to give you the answer, Chris, because you just got done telling me that stocks were better. No, Doug, I'm open. I realize that. Give me something. He's like, well, listen, if you're really serious, I know you've already read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So instead, get the book by Robert Kiyosaki called Who Took My Money, which yep. basically says that mutual funds suck. Yep. He's like, and then start listening to these other guys. It was a, it was a pod, well, radio show, AM Talk Radio back then. We didn't really have podcasts like we do today. But AM Talk Radio show with these guys locally here in Utah that are doing real estate investing. And so I did. And after a few months, I realized I'm out of integrity. I can't te teach in this crap thinking that it's going to work when I already know it doesn't. And so I quit. I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. But I went on a journey to try to figure out what it would take to do what these other guys had done. Because there's some of these guys in their 20s and 30s financially free, while I couldn't find anybody in their 60s and 70s financially free doing the traditional financial advice. And so I did that. And later that year, I myself, when I was 28, almost 29 years old, was able to retire and, and be out of the rat race. Uh, and from that moment forward, that's my, you know, of course, you know, I didn't know what to do with my life. But naturally, when people see something change in your life, they want to know how you did it. And that's what kind of got me in coaching because I'm a natural teacher. I love teaching and sharing. And that's what's got me to where I am today, where I'm now teach people. And like you've mentioned, I mean, we've helped hundreds and hundreds of people not just create passive income, but even free up cash flow so they have more to use to create more passive income. So that's now, what we've been doing. Now, like I said, I want to hop, you know, I want to dig deep into that because like I talked before we first got on, first financial book I ever picked up. And I thought it was just a cool, a cool cover because purple is my favorite color. Mm -hmm. So now I got all the purple books, but you know, that was the first book I ever picked up by rich, rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. And I've had them both on the show. Um, and it's amazing. And the only, I mean, I got a lot out of the book, but the biggest thing I got out of the book was the mindset of not, you know, I can't afford it. But how mm -hmm. can I afford it? Because then I think once you get, because I grew up, I mean, even when I went, I joined the military at 17 and I got to boot camp and I was getting paid and I didn't even know what a, a savings account was. I didn't know what a checking account was. I mean, I got locked up for writing bad checks. What do you mean I have, uh, you know, I wrote a bad checks. I, I still got checks. What does he mean? You know, <laughs> I, I, what is this? What, what do you mean bouncing checks? Because it's like Jeff Foxworthy, right? Like, yeah. oh, you want a check? Not money? Oh, okay, I can give you checks. <laughs> yeah, you know, because we were brought up where money in my house anyway, mm -hmm. money was a shameful thing to talk about. Yeah. You know, it was that taboo subject. You know, you don't talk about money. You don't talk about sex and you don't talk about religion. Yep. So, but you know, but then when I picked up his book and I started thinking, hmm, and the thing that really brought it home to me is my mother has a sister and my sister, my mother's sister is very well off. So instead of having a rich dad, poor dad, I had a rich aunt, poor aunt. <laughs> and I kind of lived that world. To, and now, I mean, and honest, you know, people know that whenever they're on the show, you know, we're always going to be honest, you know, my, my aunt's living in luxury and my mother's living month by month. And it was all because of the mindset. And so, you know, like I said, I want to give a big shout out to Robert and Sharon. Um, but also I'm a big guy. I went through financial peace university. I think that if we can amalgamate both of them, 
and put them together. Like you have no business investing in anything if you have credit card debt. Mm-hmm. If you're paying 25% interest and have no money in the bank, you have no you should have you should not be investing in anything except re- real estate. Correct? So, true. so talk yep. to us when you get somebody that's on your table, they're like, all right, I want to invest, and you're looking at their numbers. They got four car payments. <laughs> you know, they're driving Beamers. They're driving, you know, they're driving Lexuses, all all leased or rented. Mm-hmm. And they got like no money in the bank. So what do you say to them when you're like, they say, well, I want to start investing. What is your, what is it you say when you, because numbers don't lie. When you yeah. open up the second account, the, the numbers just don't lie. So what do you say to them when you see that and you're like, I don't know. You know, it really depends because you're right. The mindset is the biggest key piece. Um, There's really three money mindsets. There's, of course, scarcity mindset, which is kind of what Financial Peace University, unfortunately, teaches out of. It's always about lack. There's never enough. Um, My wife was actually a Dave Ramsey instructor for Financial Peace University, and that's why she left because she said, well, there's an abundant way to teach this. This is all out of scarcity and limits and lack. And Kiyosaki talks about abundance. But I've noticed that Kiyosaki, especially lately, he's been more of a gambler's mentality, which is not a good thing either. You got to have a stewardship mentality. That's the real abundant one. The saver mentality is always in scarcity. There's never, they can never save enough or pay off debt enough. Spenders, it's always easy come, easy go. They're still in scarcity. But a steward is a perfect blend between the two, kind of like what you're describing, like coming in the middle, right? Stewardship says, how can I make the best use of these dollars, right? How can I make the best use, not just of my money, but my time, my talents, my resources, my God-given abilities, what can I do to use these things in a way that creates more, that creates more, that I can multiply my blessings, right? It's like the parable of the talents in the Bible. You yeah. know, the stewards that actually went and made more with them. Uh, and by the way, here's what's interesting. I know Dave Ramsey loves to quote the Bible. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus actually uses an example where three servants all go into debt, they actually are indebted to their master. It's not their money. They borrow the money from their master with the charge. They got to pay it back with interest, right? They had to go and make more with it because the truth is we're born with nothing. We leave with nothing. Everything in between is stewardship. So to take that money and then the ones that actually went and did something with it that made money with it are the ones that were blessed and that were given the reward. The guy that buried it just simply paid off his debt and that was it. He was the one that was cast out and that that one sum of money, that talent was then given to the guy that made 10, right? So it's that's the stewardship mentality you got to have. So with this guy, right, that you had mentioned, this guy that's got these four different car loans and everything. Now, if he's got zero in savings, the first thing's going to be get some dang savings, like get in the habit of actually having something to start keeping it. Now, again, it's, it's hard to tell based on the numbers because sometimes I've seen people where they might have no savings, but some life event happened, right? Now, if that's gr- the case, great. What's their trajectory? Where are they going? And, r- and, and see how you can guide that trajectory along. But, you know, like you're describing to this guy, if he is the kind of guy that's just, he's spending what he makes, yeah, he's probably that spender. He's not really saving. Or maybe he's doing the, maybe he is saving. Just so you know, the statistics are, uh, despite what um, I would I learned even when I was following Dave Ramsey before, is that the majority of Americans are actually savers, not spenders. Because he would make it seem like, oh, the whole world's spenders. Be the, the, the few, the proud, the Dave Ramsey followers, right? But the truth is, is that 
he actually, the savers are actually the majority. Um, you look at 401ks, of the people uh, are actually qualified to put money in 401ks, 53% of them do. That even includes people like me who hate 401ks. They think they suck, right? Um, and there's lots of our clients that are the same way that don't contribute to 401ks because we know there's better ways to do it. So that would imply that now we've got people that are more than half that are actually savers. So if this guy is saving in a 401k, I would say, what the heck are you doing? Stop saving that crappy gambling 401k. And especially if there's high interest loans or credit cards that like you said, use that money and pay off all that crap. Like don't even worry about the 401k. The match doesn't make that difference. That 100% match or 50% match, because most don't do 100 anymore. That match is not a true 50 or 100% return. It only usually long-term adds about 2 to 3% at most. So stop that crap and go do something that actually creates more cash flow now. And then with that cash, get that in your control and use it to instead generate cash flow, not just accumulate money like you've always been taught to squirrel away your money and save up all your nuts for someday where you might even not have it. You end up becoming like my dad and becoming that sad story. No, all right. So before before we get on, I want to thank about it because I want to go. I want to really dig deep into this whole concept. I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, I came out with my own coffee called Vertical Momentum Coffee. Twice the amount of caffeine, twice the energy. Tastes amazing. Uh, yesterday was nice and cold here, and I got under the blanket and I had my cold, my hot cup of coffee, reading a great book. Um, and so, if you guys love coffee with a mission, because every pack that I sell. 100% of the proceeds go to help veterans struggling with the same things we're talking about, uh, mental health, financial health, and also homelessness. So if you guys love coffee with a mission, check it out. Also, thank StreamYard. If you guys want to start your own own uh, show, StreamYard is giving you a $10 coupon to start your own show. So check it out. And also, I just started a brand new product. The first time I'm ever talking about it on camera, it's called Magic Mind, and it actually helps um, increase the blood flow to your brain and actually helps focus. So I actually mix, mix it with my coffee. So if you guys are interested in trying to, you know, get a little bit smarter, help with your long-term, short-term memory, just check out that. And I'll, and I'll leave that below. So guys, thank you for, for sponsoring the show. But now also like I'm a big Grant Cardone guy. Um, I wasn't until I got to know his backstory. Now I love the guy. Um, he said, somebody once asked him, he said, um, do you own your own home? And he says, no, I rent to myself. And he says, you know, and just like Robert Kiyosaki said, you know, back in, back in all the book, purple books, um, there's good debt, then there's bad debt. So can you please drop us a little knowledge on good debt, good debt, bad debt? Yeah, so this sort of comes back to those three money mindsets, spender, saver, steward, right? If you're a spender, no debt's good. Not even a real estate property because <laughs> you're going to find a way to blow it. You're not going to reinvest and you're going to put yourself in a bad position. If you're a saver and you're so scared of having debt, that's not good for you either, right? Because you can't control those emotions and fear, you know, worry, doubts, all that kind of stuff will actually get you to make bad decisions with your money. So the focus is to become a wise steward of the money, to understand that debt is neither good nor bad. It's just a tool depending on how you use it. Heck, even having a credit card, even at 25% could be good depending on how you're using it. You know, like, for example, now, 
uh, in my case, I'm not talking about some people that have done it for investing. I'm just talking about where I have a sky miles card with Delta. You know, it's a higher interest rate than what I like to pay. But if I pay it off every month, but I'm still charging up like crazy in my business, I'm getting massive, massive perks and bonuses and miles and everything else that saves me thousands of dollars a year. So yeah, I have an interest rate, but I don't let the interest rate cripple me because I get more benefits than that. So I milk the system, right? So I love credit cards. I don't think you should freeze them, put them in a block unless you're uncontrollable. You need, you know, spenders anonymous SA, you know, something like that for your situation. So with debt though, if you're trying to use it in a productive way, whether you're a business owner, especially if you're an entrepreneur and or an investor, the biggest thing you got to look for is profit or in the terms that Kiyosaki would use cash flow, right? Um, that's always the key. It's always about profit and business, right? Like how do we make sure that we make more than what we spend? When the income's up here, expenses down here, you feel happy. When it's like this, you're freaking out, you're stressed. And so when you're using debt, the biggest thing you want to do is make sure, one, is it controllable in the sense that maybe you don't have variable rates that can work sometimes, but you know, if you have environments like today, that could be risky. But if your payment is lower than whatever you can make off that payment, that's a good thing. So for example, when I first launched, uh, not Money Ripples, but another business I did prior to this, where I, I launched a business with a guy named Garrett Gunderson. Um, he wrote the book, Killing Sacred Cows, another money mindset book. Yeah. And when I launched that, I got a $25,000 SBA loan. Well, that SBA loan, at, even if I maxed, pulled out all the cash out of the 25,000, which I did, the payment was $130 a month. Now, from a business owner's perspective, if I can't make $130 a month from 25 grand, I shouldn't be in business. I should just go work a W-2 job and be an employee, right? Yeah. But anybody who's a business owner knows if I can take 25 grand, I can put that into marketing or whatever it might be. You're hoping to make several thousand a month, not $130 a month. So the question is, what can you do with that money that can make more than what that payment costs you, regardless of the interest rate? The interest rate is a factor, but it's not the main factor. That's what banks try to teach you so that you pay them off faster because banks give you the higher interest rates for their higher risk debt. When they give you a credit card, they know there's nothing to back it up like a car or a house. They give you lower interest rates because there's some asset to back it up to protect them. But when there's no protection, they charge you higher interest rates to make you pay it back faster. They want to de-incentivize you or really incentivize you to pay it back faster by charging you higher rates. They're the ones, uh, just like Dave Ramsey, he's almost like an employee of the bank, a perfect money, you know, money marketer for the banks saying, you should pay this off faster. You should do this. You should do that. You know, where the banks are saying, thank you very much. I just made more of this because you just taught me how to basically use my own system. If we can do the same thing the banks do to us, where the banks borrow money from us, whenever we put money into savings, they're paying us debt interest, right? But think about it. What the, the banks are just sitting on that your money in the savings account doing nothing. They're taking that same money, loaning it out for often 10, 20, 100 times more than what they pay you in that savings account. They love you. They love going to debt. You do the same thing. You can do that in your business where you can make higher money than whatever it costs you. You can also do the same thing with investing, especially with real estate. Don't do this with stocks, digital, crypto, currencies, all that kind of stuff. That's a gamble. Don't do that crap. Never gamble with, with money. I don't think you should gamble with your own money, let alone somebody else's money, right? You know, put it into things that actually have real assets backing up, something you have control over. That's why I love real estate because, you know, I can go get a mortgage on real estate even now. 
And if I know I can make at least a six or even 10% plus cash on cash return of net profit on my money, my own money, that's huge. I'll give you an example. I mean, uh, just uh, four years ago, I bought a property in Memphis. Uh, this property, I bought it with 32000 if you include closing costs. That was the down payment plus the closing costs. That 32000 from day one was paying me about $380 a month, you know, or roughly about 13 14% per year, not including anything with appreciation, not including the fact that my renters are paying down my mortgage for me, or tax benefits, just simply from the cash flow. Well, eventually now we're up about almost 500 bucks a month with that property. Um, the equity has grown to the point where I've made in four years a 300% return on that money. Do you think I even give a crap about what that mortgage payment's doing at its you know, five and a quarter percent when I got it at that time? No, that five and a quarter percent was like the best investment of interest to be able to make 300% over four years, right? So that's where it can be wise. That's where it can work to your advantage. But also, but, you know, the world that we live in today, you know, what you're talking about, it's not sexy. It's oh, not no. fun. It's not shiny object. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, crypto. It's not NFTs. It's kind of like basic shit. And but unfortunately, that's that it's the basic stuff over that pays, you know, over the long haul is the stuff that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, I like to say that uh, boring is sexy. You know, that's what I've learned, especially after the last several recessions, right? I've, I've seen this, you know, how I've become resilient over time is the lessons I've learned from how things can change. Boring, the more boring, the sexier it can be. Uh, it's the people that go chasing after shiny objects are the ones that, and it's their, their money is like easy come, easy go. Not from a spender perspective, but they become more of a gambler. I mean, the cryptos and stuff. And I know, you know, Kiyosaki is all about cryptos right now because he talked to so-and-so. Uh, most likely, he's probably profiting off of it, to be blunt. Um, I mean, sure, the guy, I, I appreciate the things he's done, but the guy also teaches you how to trade stocks and options. I worked for his company teaching people how to trade stocks and options, and I don't do that anymore. Because when I started to find the people that actually were masters at it, they even realized, wait, I, I can't be financially free here. Like, I'm always tied to my computer making trades. Even if I put automation in place, I'm stuck to my computer. I even had an options, a guy that teach people how to trade options in the stock market, reach out to us saying, I need to know how to make passive income. <laughs> how do I do it? And so he hired us to teach him how to not trade in the stock markets, right? So understand that Kiyosaki, he started to tell people to do a lot of stuff that's gambling. Um, some things are good, but you got to take it with a grain of salt sometimes, right? Don't use debt to buy anything that's speculative. That is just a dumb, dumb idea. And you one know, thing, and, and I don't if, think I should use my own money for that because, again, I believe in stewardship. Whether it's my money or somebody else's, it's not going to be mine in the end. How do I make my money really become more? How do I multiply and amplify my blessings? You know, and I love that. Um, and but one thing, if you ask, if I'm, we're walking down the street and me and you're just talking, and I pull the average person over and I ask them, "Is your house an asset?" or is it a liability? They're pretty much almost a hundred percent are going to say, Oh, my house is an asset. Mm -hmm. But if you look at a piece of paper and take, you know, you write, write down, like, you know, you, like we're taught a profit and loss, you know, your house is the bank's asset. That's right. It's your liability. Well, it's and not it, paying anything. 
Yeah. Right. So if, if we can get people to start understanding that, but once you start owning, say a, you know, a couple house, a house or two, or a duplex or a complex, that's when it becomes an asset. Correct. If, if it's done right, yeah, I I completely agree, and, that, and that's the key. Um, because see, some people will read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I've talked with a lot of these people because they often will hire us to help them because we actually do the application of Rich Dad Poor Dad with our clients, right? We actually help match them up with deals, find the right vetted investments and things like that. And what happens is that many of them will say, well, he said buy real estate. So I went and I bought real estate. Well, okay, well, you just bought it in your backyard. You know, you just bought this property, you know, next door or down the street. And right now, if anybody's in the Western half of the United States, I wouldn't buy rentals at all. I live in the Western half. I live in Utah now. Um, I wouldn't buy anything in the Western half of the United States. Most everything I'm looking at buying rental-wise is like Midwest to Southeast. There's way better profits and way non-sexy markets, right? You don't, I don't go for the sexy like Phoenix, Arizona, or even like some of the Texas markets as much or like, you know, uh, like Tampa, Florida, you know, I'm not looking at those markets because those have been hot and hot markets are often not good ones if you want to get paid consistently. So I go for the boring stuff. So what happens is most people end up buying what they call an asset, but it's not really. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a client that's down in California. Uh, he's got his home and he's got a duplex, right? Both in California. His goal was, he says, in six years, if I keep aggressively paying down these mortgages, I'll be debt free. And I said, okay, great. How much would that free per month? And when you take out the taxes and insurance, because tax insurance, you still have to pay even after it's paid off. When you take that out and you just look at the principal interest payments, it only freed up 4,200 a month. I said, but look at this. You got, you got this rental property paying you $200 a month net profit, but you have 700,000 of equity in it. 700,000. That means you're making like 0.3%. So even for him, even if it's an asset because it's paying him, it's really not because he was just planning to buy and hold on to it forever, but the cash flow was barely breaking even. If he has anything go wrong, he loses money on that deal. So I said, sell that property, get the equity out. We do a tax-free exchange into other properties yeah. where instead of you're making 200 bucks a month, you're making about $6,000 a month in total. And, uh, and it took him a while because he was married to that. He was married to the philosophy. He's like, but I'll free up 4,200 a month in six years. Because, you know, Dave Ramsey will be proud of me. I said, yeah, but you can make 6000 a month this year. That's more than 4200 a month. And if you keep reinvesting that 6000 a month for the next six years, guess what? You'll now be over 100000 a year of passive income versus just, yay, I freed up 4200 <laughs> So and that's also, a big difference. Like you're talking about with that, um, with, with the exchange, you also get, you know, favorable taxes stuff favorable on your taxes that you oh, might yeah. not have to pay you know capital gains on stuff like you know if you do it right if you do it the right and legal way guys we're talking legal and the right way we're not talking you know smoking mirrors and all that stuff um right. but now let me ask you a question um like i said you know my perfect avatar is a guy like me it's you know a guy gets out of the military either 20 years or even just a couple years, you get out and you're like, okay, now what? Um, you know, cause when you're in the military, you get, you know, servicemen's group life insurance, you get um, all this, all the, all the pay stuff that they give you. But once you hit the streets, you know, your ass out, you're on your own. And yep. 
sometimes you're, you know, sometime a little bit long in the tooth like me, you know, and you, you're hit your 40, now you're 40 years old and you don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. So what do you say to a person that's like me, you know, either a veteran, first responder, you know, that, or even a regular Joe Schmo that just lost, that is starting over at the age of 40. What do you say to them? You know, it depends on their situation. If, if you're starting, if you have like no assets, you know, um, the best thing is, is try to figure out what your strengths and abilities and your passions are and align those in a way that serves other people, that creates value for other people. One of the key things I learned before I became financially independent was, and this is something I learned from those guys that were investors. They would always teach the principle that dollars follow value, right? Um, I used to believe that money you had to have, you had to have, he had to make money to make money, right? Or he had to have money to make money. And although that can be true, the truth is that we all started somewhere broke. I mean, we all were high school or college students that had no money. Now, I'm sorry, Rancher. What was it? Dollars follow value. Value. I'm writing it yeah. down. That's why. Yeah, dollars follow value. Like the more value you create for somebody, the more dollars that can come back, right? Um, the more you serve or solve problems for people, the more you can justify getting paid. Um, and that's the same true whenever you get a job. Obviously, the more valuable they, they see you in that job, the more they're willing to pay you, right? And as, and definitely as an entrepreneur, if you decide to go the entrepreneur path, that should be your focus is how can I deliver the highest amount of value for the people that I'm serving? And even better yet, if you're trying to make a lot of money, highest amount of value for the most number of people, right? And that's what you should be focused on. How do I deliver value in a way that they want to exchange money to have that in their life? Because they know that, they're better having me in their life than not at all. And that's, I mean, that's really all we do with our, even with our kind of clients, right? Is that we want to make sure that they have assets to invest. So they make more than what they pay us within the first year. They got to make at least double, right? That's the key is that dollars have to follow that value you're given. You want to make sure you're delivering more value than what you're receiving in exchange. And that's how you create that perfect win-win. This is the way the society always should be. And, and really even capitalism True capitalism operates under this premise, right? Is that there's self-interest and that we all want to, we all know that if we want more money to come back. We got to create more value. We got to solve problems or serve people in a way that money comes back. So if you're just starting out and you're not sure what to do with your life, find that, find out what your strengths are, your unique abilities, the combination of, and how can you take those combine them with your passions that you have in life and find a way to combine them together to serve more people, right? Um, that's, that's number one. Now, if you're like some of the guys I've, I've spoken with, like we had, we had a, like I, we have a client right now, Dan Marker. We just had him on our podcast for the second time, just this fall. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he came on because, you know, he had a nice government, you know, pension. He was the fourth ranking Colonel in the state of California national guard. And so he came out, he had a nice little, little uh, retirement account. But when he looked at the number, he said, Chris, I've got a million dollars here. But if I go off a traditional financial advice that my advisor is telling me, I can only pull out 3% a year. That's 30 grand a year. I'm a millionaire, supposedly, but I can only live on 30,000 a year. That's not a life, especially in California. And so we ended up getting him to redeploy money elsewhere. And now he's netting over 11,000 a month doing things away from the stock market, buying actual real assets like in real estate. He's got some oil and gas investments that are paying him consistently and stuff. And, uh, and now he's, 
basically now working kind of like in a contractor private environment, just part-time doing whatever he loves you to do. You know, even my last episode, he was actually out there near, near, uh, um, was it Truckee, like out, out in, you know, out in the mountains of California doing our interview right out of his car, pretty much, you know, just enjoying life, you know, and that's, and that's the kind of freedom that you want. So you've got assets. The real question is, is how do we identify those assets and how do we get those assets to start paying you now versus trying to accumulate or do something with them? Could they actually start helping create cash flow? And I'll tell you, even if you want to be like many people don't want to just retire and sit on a you know front porch drinking crappy country time lemonade, right? We don't want to just sit there and do nothing. We want to do something with our lives, something that has purpose and meaning. What better way to do that than if you could have other streams of income coming in? Maybe you've got money coming in from the, the government as well. But if you got other passive streams of income coming in, and then you go and launch your next venture, your real passion project, man, I'll tell you, there's no better way to start a business than when you don't need the money. Because yep. when you don't need the money. Now, it's one thing to, to be lackadaisical, but if you're hungry because of passion, like you're on a mission, you want to do something, but you don't need the money, it puts you in a completely different place because I'll tell you, um, I, I call it business breath. When yep. you, you know this, whenever you go to networking events, right? And they're throwing cards at you. They don't even hardly tell you your name and their cards are giving you paper cuts. You're like, ah, oh, crap. Like, what'd you just do to me? Like, take my card, call me, send me referrals. I don't even know you. Why would yep. I do that? What kind of value have you provided that I would want to do that? Yep. But they do it because they're so desperate for money and you never want to send them referrals. You actually work four or five times harder and the person who's not desperate for money, that's relaxed, says, listen, I can create massive value for you in your life. I know I can. Let's see if it makes sense for me to serve you and for us to make an exchange here. And you come from a place of power, not from a place of weakness and desperation. Man, you'll make so much more money when you don't need it. It's like Harry Potter. You ever watched, you know, yeah. you ever read the books or the first Harry Potter movie when he has the Sorcerer's Stone and it, he finds it in his pocket, but Voldemort couldn't get it because he wanted it so bad. And that was the trick with the mirror is he couldn't get it unless you didn't want it. That's yeah. the same thing with money. It's when you don't really need the money, when you're not desperate for it, that's when everybody wants to pay you. But when you're desperate for it, no one wants to pay you. Yeah, you know, and one thing I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit, talk about, um, I had, I was playing poker with a billionaire a little while ago and um, he, he owns uh, the largest timeshare company in, 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 uh, in Florida. And we're playing poker and we're just sitting there bullshitting. And I looked at him and I said, you know, what is the difference between you as a billionaire and the waiter that's picking up our drinks? I said, what is the difference? Mm -hmm. And he said, our vocabulary is different. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, he says, because the average person, they don't talk about assets or liabilities you know they don't talk about you know appreciation depreciation that's what rich people do that's what rich people talk about so he said if you change your vocabulary you change your life do you agree i would agree yeah i'm not a billionaire so i can't uh, do that i'm only in the multi-millionaire phase right but i will say this uh, i've definitely seen that to be true um in fact, I know so as I surround myself with guys that are like me, the more we got into the millions and we created freedom for ourselves, the more we started talking about, well, really, the less we started talking about ourselves. <laughs> um, it's often people that are trying to start out, they're trying to make a lot of money, they talk about themselves so much. 
but our focus became more about quality of life, not just quantity of stuff. And some people could argue, say, yeah, but you know, that's because you don't need the money. I need the money. Okay. That's a good argument. But uh, I'll tell you for me personally, and this wasn't true for all these guys, some of them had to find out later on. But for me, even when I was broke, when I started changing my conversations about creating value, right? Even when the money wasn't showing up yet. And when I started changing conversations, having these type of conversations like we're having right now, I had these conversations 15 years ago. You know, I have a little bit more wisdom and experience behind it today. But those conversations are what led me to where I am today. And I was able to have more of a quality of life to come with the money as well, where some of these guys were really good hustlers, they're really good salespeople. They made millions of dollars in their businesses and then later on realized they had nothing. So here's the great thing is that when we're talking about these kind of riches, right? Uh, there's more riches than just the money. It's about creating a massive quality of life, a great quality of life for your family. Your health is a huge aspect of your quality of life. Many people will sacrifice that for money. Not cool. Just like they'll sacrifice their families or their, their key relationships. You know, you can have it all. You really can. Um, you can actually have money and have a great marriage and have cool kids and have great health. You know, you can have everything, you know, that you really want. You have a great spiritual life, right? You can have all of these things and money. But unfortunately, most people, if they're in the broke conversations, believe they have to just get out of survival and just make money and then they can focus on that quality of life. I'm here to tell you, you can do the opposite. You can focus on all the other areas outside of money and also change your conversation around money too, and have a greater quality of life across the board. And, you know, I, I totally agree. And I had David Meltzer on here. Everybody knows David Meltzer. Um, you know, and he said, you know, at 29, you know, I was worth hundred million dollars. Mm -hmm. And my wife told me one day, as she seen me taking, seeing me a picture with in the Grammys that <laughs> it was either her or uh, hanging out with Lil John at the Grammys. So I bankrupted my business and I had to start over. He says, but now my company that I'm, I'm partners with Warren Moon is worth $20 billion. I have a great family. I have a great relationship. He said, the, the difference is now is I prioritize my family. I prioritize, I, you know, a lot of people talk about blocking time, which I, I, I'm a big believer in. He says, but a lot of people, you know, they block in time for meetings, but they forget to block in that time to call their mom. You know, they, they forget to block in the time to go, you know, tuck their, their daughter in that night. And like you said, you can have it all as long as it's prioritized the right way. And also yeah. like, like author James Clear to always talks about, you know, it's all about your habits. It's all about, you know, your morning rituals and your evening rituals. So for the last couple of minutes, I would love to know, you know, especially since you're the big marathon runner, <laughs> uh, tell me about your routines. What is your morning ritual like and what is your evening ritual like? Yeah. And just so you know, I wasn't always a marathon runner. I used to be very overweight, highly inflamed. Um, I want to say very overweight. I mean, I was like 30, 40 plus pounds overweight, um, but inflamed. And uh, even though I was working out every day, um, I couldn't, you know, I was take, I was popping you know, ibuprofen or Tylenol every single day would deal with the pain, right? Um, luckily, I cleaned up my eating, started eating more organic, non-GMO, less inflammatory foods, dropped a bunch of the weight, thanks to my wife helping me with that. And uh, and then now, of course, I'm, uh, hey, I can run a marathon, right? So um, yeah, so I'm very blessed to do that. But I do, I do very similar to what a lot of people do, right? In the morning, especially, like everybody has their own little routine. 
you have like your miracle morning, you've got your hour of power, like Tony Robbins talks about. Mine's not too much different, focused on kind of those other areas of life. Um, so I do deal with health first and foremost. Now, I'm not the kind of guy to get out of bed and pray right off the bat because I'll fall asleep. So I got to get move my body and, uh, and I'll do running, I'll do lifting, I'll do things like that to just get myself in better shape. Um, and surprisingly, it actually led me to running the Chicago Marathon where the 40,000 of the best runners in the world were running together, you know. Um, I do that every morning. And then I do do like prayers of gratitude while I run, you know, or while I'm doing my workouts, you know, like just going through counting my blessings. You know, I'll, you know, some people will gratitude journal. You know, I don't journal as much, but there's a lot of people that love that too. Um, I'll pray, you know, I'll read scriptures. I'll, you know, I'll, you know, sometimes even try to have that little time with my wife, even if it's just for a few seconds, you know, or with my kids or whatever, you know, just kind of get that little extra bit. Um, you know, even learning, you know, like that's where Audible is like, seriously, one of my best friends, you know, it's like, you can, you can really put, you know, when you, when you feel like you might be surrounded by people that maybe are at a different level than where you want to be, maybe they're not at the level you want to be, well, fill your head and just like you're watching this right now, but fill your head and your ears or whatever with other people's voices, people that are at the level you want to be, you know, so I'm, I'm finishing up Ed Milet's book right now, you know, just the one power, more, right? I'm the power of one. one right now. Right. So it's just, it's a great way to just kind of really get your day started with a win, right? So when you start the day, even if your life sucks in the moment, and I've, I've been there, I've been in a place where I was over a million dollars in debt, trying to dig myself out of, of a big hole, um, felt like a loser. And a complete, and you know, even my wife at the time, now ex-wife, she was threatening to take the kids and, and go move with her sister until I figured my crap out, kind of like Cinderella, man, right? You know, or she was trying to take the kids and get them out because they couldn't afford to pay the bills and, you know, pay for the heat. That was me. And, uh, and I was still doing that routine because that was at least the one time I could feel like a winner and help take some of that momentum, that, that feeling into the rest of my day to reverse the, the loser days that I was having really loser a couple of years that I had. So it's, it's critical. You've got to have a morning routine like that. All right. So now you mentioned Ed Milet. He's one of my biggest mentors, um, changed my life. He actually, uh, before I went blind, he actually invited me to fly down there with him for the weekend, but I couldn't see, so I couldn't fly. Um, so, but he's one of my biggest mentors. I just, I just got done um, listening to, you know, um, his, his new book, you know, and like I do my cardio in the morning. So like I just finished David Goggins book. You can't hurt me. Now I'm listening, you know, listening to Jocko Willink's book, you know, you know, yep. so a lot of people think, well, it costs a lot of money to get mentored by somebody it cost me 15 bucks a month to get <laughs> you know and you can get millions of titles but i mean and for one premium title you know i can have jocko in my ear for 16 hours for 15 right. bucks. or or i can start my own show and have people like you people like david Meltzer, people like robert kiyosaki people like sharon lector come on the show and tell me all their secrets and I don't have to pay them nothing. So that's another way to do it because I, I'm, I'm a big learner. My wife made fun of me this morning. Um, I, I lost my vision a while ago and now I'm getting it back, but I, I only have a ninth grade education, but I've read over 6,000 books and wow. I got 14 books going on at one time not including my audio books because I'm a, I love to learn. If I don't know about something, I want to take a deep dive into it. So I love what you talk about, but one thing I want to hit on, and I, I don't know if it's 
if it's just something I'm feeling. Um, you said, like for me, when I wake, when I go to bed at night, I say three things that I'm grateful for. When I wake up in the morning, if my eyes open and I can actually see something, I wake up with gratitude. Mm. And, I, and I, I thank the Lord. I said, Lord, thank you. You know, I, I already beat the day. I, I could see I'm up and I'm healthy and I could take my, my you know, see my, my wife and take my daughter to school. So I kind of live in, you know, gratitude. You know, like David said on the show, he says, and I never thought of it this way, that, you know, gratitude and anger cannot occupy the same spot. So true. Or gratitude and depression can't occupy the same spot. So yeah. um, I love the gra gratitude you talk about. But now I got to say, because everybody knows I'm not afraid of the, the gospel. Um, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit about that, because it seems like the most successful people that I've talked to or interviewed, they have a faith. Mm -hmm. And their faith is what keeps them going at those hard times when you're a million dollars in debt, you know, that their, their faith is what kept them going. So if you don't mind, I hope I'm not crossing a line, but if you don't mind, would you mind talking about faith a little bit? Yeah, it's big. So yeah, I'll go back to that experience. Cause I actually went into a million dollars in debt after I was financially independent the first time. So, uh, you know, I got out of the rat race and everything. I started a new business with that guy, Garrett Gunderson. And then the recession hit us right at the perfect time. Not to mention, I started gambling. 2008, 2009? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, we had started launched our business the first part of 2007. And our primary audience were real estate investors, but not the good ones, the flippers. Yeah. And the flippers got hosed. And I started to do more flipping instead. And that, um, instead of going for the boring cash flow, I was going for the sexy stuff. It was like, hey, maybe I can make 50 or 100 grand on a deal got toasted. Um, not to mention I was putting all my money into resources, cut off income streams. The next thing I know, I'm in the hole about 15,000, 16,000 a month, which is actually what, what, uh, that experience I went through is what, um, started that book, the book you've been reading, right? The, the seven secrets to free up cash today. Um, the beyond rice and beans book. Yeah. Um, very short read. If you guys like a half hour read, cause I'm not a big writer, but, um, but that's, that all came from that experience. And during that time, I mean, at first I was in this place of, I can get through this. Like I can solve my problem. I can do this. Right. But eventually it got to the point where I was like, I'm, I'm hosed. What do I do? Um, I'm facing bankruptcy. Right. I was at the choice of, should I go bankrupt or not? And I remember I was praying and, and I was praying like, what should I be doing? And the distinct impression came back of don't file for bankruptcy. Don't do that. Even though it'd be way easier to wipe the slate clean and get rid of over a million dollars of debt. Don't do it. Um, and in fact, be patient. You'll be glad you did. And this was, uh, and to be exact, this was like the very first weekend of April, 2008. I got that impression. Like I knew exactly what happened. It was on a Saturday night. I had that strong impression. I've been praying all weekend for the answer. And it came to me that Saturday night. Well, the next thing I know that short period of time was about a year and a half later. Like there's some little, little bits of hope, but it didn't come right away. What I learned was that I knew just, I knew deep down in my heart that this was not an accident. I believe, I don't believe there are any accidents at all. This is where my faith and principles come in, that there are no accidents. Everything happens for a reason. And I thought, you know what, even if I only help one person because of what I'm suffering right now, would that really be worth it? I was like, yeah, it would be, you know, I remember I read two key books that really helped me out of this 
kind of depressed mentality. I was trying to do gratitude, but it was really hard after some time. You start to get, you start to get threatened with bitterness. And I read two good books. I read one that actually you mentioned Sharon Lecter co-wrote on this one as well with Greg Reed called Three Feet from Gold. It's I just had on the show. I'm actually releasing his episode today. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. There are no accidents, right? Yeah. Um, but I learned a lot of good stuff. I heard like a lot of the stories were about people that had to go through that trial period of faith before the, re the real blessings came. And then I also read a book uh, by Donald Trump called Never Give Up which is yeah. one of her more, when his more humble books, I would say, um, not as humble, but, you know, not as braggart, you know, not as braggadocious as he usually is. But, um, but in that book, I mean, one thing that caught my attention was he would say the same thing. He would say, you know, even if there's 20 negative things, he would focus on the one positive. And that's what I would do. I, I started like, there were some days it was like, kind of like you waking up saying, well, at least I can see, I can breathe. I'm alive. Even my life looks like crap right now that's going on. But I'll tell you, like, I, I, here's the key thing that happened to me. This was in August of 2009. I remember I was praying again. And I remember my, uh, I remember just feeling like something was going to turn around for me finally. And it was at the point where I got this place of surrender, where I, I just got to a point, I, I, I even, I remember telling, you know, my heavenly father, I just said, you know, I don't, I don't care if this takes me 20 years to get out of this or 20 days, like whatever it is, I know what's true. I know what the real principles are. I know what works, like including dollars follow value, right? And those kind of principles and, and even just, you know, treat people like you want to be treated or even better than you want to be treated, like the whole golden or platinum rule. You know, I know all those things. Uh, I'm going to keep doing that even if it takes forever to get out of this hole because I know it's going to work eventually. It has to. It, it's, these are eternal principles. They always work. And it was that, it was in that moment, I was like, I know it's going to happen. That point of surrender, that I could feel things turning around. I remember my wife at that time was saying, like, she vented on me. She's like, when is this going to change? What, you've been saying this is going to get better for years. When's it going to get better? This has been almost two years by this point. And I just said, you know what? There's going to be a day I said, I told you so. And I went out the door, slammed it, and just went out the door, went to my office to work again. Well, it was literally a month and a half later all things, things shifted and it would turn around fast because I stopped trying to be a, a you know, negative, you know, piss ant basically, you know, stopped like being a whiner and a complainer and just started like trying to serve and do what's right. And I really believe that if you do what right, you want to let the consequence follow because when you do what's right, the right consequences always follow. And that's what happened. Things shifted, turned around. Our business went from almost bankrupt to then 5 million the next year, you know, and, uh, and not to mention, it started to help me reverse my situation where, I mean, although I, you know, quit that business after a few years, launched Money Ripples and, and went through a divorce and everything still by 2016 or just the end of, yeah, just the end of 2016, I was able to get out of the rat race the second time. Even though I had all that debt, I had to pay back because I didn't go bankrupt, um, still was able to get out of that hole. And I think that's the key thing is that the main thing I realized that there are no accidents, everything happens for a reason, and that often it's to make us stronger. Those lows are what helps you get the tools necessary to hit new highs. And sometimes we have to get through it. And you guys know, I mean, you've been through way worse physical trials than I've ever been through. And I'm a marathoner, right? But you guys have gone through boot camp. You guys have gone through kind of training. And depending on what kind of training you've done, you've probably gone through sleep deprivation. You've gone through all kinds of stuff to learn how to control and come out the other side stronger, right? Um, and that's true here too. Life is no different. It's just a matter of sticking to what you know is true, following that, and every time the Lord will bless you accordingly.
I love it. Okay, so the last couple of questions I have, um, and because it's you, I'm going to ask you an extra question, just because it's you and you're that and you're that damn special. Um, I had um, she- Iron Chef Simon Majumdar on here last year, and he says, "Rich, did you know that during the uh, what we're going through now in the United States, we've lost over 100,000 restaurants have closed," hmm. and he said. Think of how many families are driving Uber, driving DoorDash, just trying to put food on their tables. Yeah. So my my th- so I took that and I'm using that as a you know, if somebody out there you know because if you tell somebody in American to do something in seven days, they're we're so busy we're never going to get a chance to do it. But if somebody's listening to our episode now, and we ask them to them to do something in 24 hours, they're more likely to take that take that and, and run with it. So I'm going to ask you a two prong question. If there's somebody right now that is struggling with their business, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to see some clarity? And the second question, and I think the most important question is, I believe that if you don't feel close to God, you're the one that moved. He's always there. Um, so if there's somebody out there that's listening to us, because I feel that there's somebody out there that's suffering. If there's somebody out there that wants to get close to him, wants to find some peace and serenity in their life, what can they do in the next 24 hours to try to find some peace? Ask him. Ask your Heavenly Father. Ask what's your next step. That's all you have to ask. What is my next step? And that's going to be a different answer for everybody. And really trust in that answer. Go with your, you know, really feel it. And you'll know. And sometimes you've already gotten that direction. You've probably had that whisper come to you several times. If you don't listen to the whisper, sometimes it comes as a yell. And if it's not a yell, it's a two by four. If it's not a two by four, it's a Mack truck hitting you. Eventually, you're going to get the message, right? But there's probably something you've already felt that you need to be doing that maybe you're not. Do that. Do that thing. Do whatever it is that you felt in your gut that you should be doing and you haven't done it yet. Or maybe it's just a matter of patience, right? It might just be stick it out like I had to feel, right? And that's that's the next step you should be doing. But really pray to ask, what's my next step? What is What should I be doing right now? And have the courage and the faith to be willing to act on it immediately. Whatever you feel, do it then. Uh, I'll tell you, even in my business today, that is something I'm, I'm doing right now. Like, even, there's there's times when conventional wisdom would say, you should do this, right? Like, Chris, you should do this kind of marketing strategy. You should do that. You should do this. Um, you should do LinkedIn. You should spam people on messages every single day. Um, sorry, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and if, if my gut says you should go this way, even if everybody's saying go that, do it. I remember I had a coach say, you should be doing 12 events a year, live events, putting butts in seats. Um, I was doing, I did six that year and I about burned out. Um, I prayed, I started feeling it, and I, and the prompting came to do less events. So I did three the next year, not six. I did three. I didn't even do 12 like she asked. I did three. Went against my coach, and my business more than doubled the next year, despite having less events. Um, that's the power of it. It's like when you follow that voice, that whisper, that is when things work in your favor. It's when you fight it. You try to go against it because your brain tries to go somewhere or some other voices in the world try to tell you to go a certain way. That's when you lose. Follow the voice, follow that prompting. 
All right, Chris. Uh, one of my best friends says, I have $27,000. What should I do with it? You know, if you're not already getting educated, I mean, obviously education is key, right? I mean, that's a great way to start. If you're, if you're trying to find out what to do with the money, get educated, pay at least even a piece of that to get more of that education. Obviously, you can get a lot on YouTube. You can do a lot of information free. Even on our Money Ripples YouTube channel, we give a lot of information for free. Um, but I'll say this. For a lot of people, some people say, hey, I'm starting to save money. What do I do? Because if it's not at least $100,000, don't even worry about investing right now. That's not your worry. You should start worrying about really building it up, finding ways to create value so you can build that money up faster. One strategy you can use, and this is a way you can get your money to actually pay you twice, is you can actually do what's called infinite banking. Um, I use a method specifically called max ROI infinite banking because there's infinite banking that costs too much. Um, really what that is is a tax-free supercharged savings account. Pays way better than 0.0% at the bank, um, and it's tax-free, and it's protected from lawsuits and creditors as well in, in most states. So this is something you actually use with a whole life insurance policy, but don't buy the plain old vanilla crap that they try to sell you. You really want specific stuff on that. Um, so you can actually take that money, use it, get it in there. And then of course you can actually get a line of credit against that money. Just like we talked about using debt as leverage at a lower interest rate than what you're earning on that money at the same time. So they're paying you more money in that life insurance than what you're borrowing it for. You make a spread on that money. And then you also can use that to go and invest making money in two places at the same time. So even if you made 10% on that investment, well, guess what? And you can add an extra one or 2% more just because you use the life insurance instead of just using your bank account. Um, so it's a cool strategy you can use there. Um, on our Money Ripples channel, we actually have a playlist called Infinite Banking. You can look up more information on it there too. All right, so then that was my, my last question is, how do we find you? How do we find your book? I, I found your book because I just Googled your name and Amazon came right up. So how, how do we find your book? Tell us about your podcast and tell us about your website. Yeah, you really website has the ebook that we have on there. You can actually download for free called Beyond Rice and Beans, Seven Secrets to Free Up Cash Today. It's on moneyripples.com. That's R-I-P-P-L-E-S.com with Money Ripples. And uh, you can go there and check that out. It also leads you to our other podcast. We got our own show, the Money Ripples podcast. Um, that can also lead to our YouTube channel, which has those playlists, like I mentioned. I love it. So guys, make sure you check him out. Chris, um, I'm so grateful that we were able to finally get together and hang out and, and uh, chat. I'm so blessed and honored. Um, like I said, I, I wrote some stuff down that I'm actually going to start working on. Um, and, and I actually thank you for that whole dollar follow value. Um, I really appreciate that. Because uh, like I said, I'm always willing to learn. And I'm very humbled and grateful. So, guys, make sure you check him out. His LinkedIn profile, amazing. He's he's very um, reachable. He's very you know. I send a message within 20 minutes. I got him. I got an answer. So he's very you know. So guys, reach out to him. Talk to him. Get the ebook. I think I'm on my third iteration now. So definitely check it out. And guys, um, like I said, if you guys love coffee with a mission. Make sure you pick out Vertical Momentum Coffee. Um, and if you want to have your own show on StreamYard, they'll actually throw you some cash, let you start out. Chris, brother, I'm so grateful and humbled. And now I'm grateful to know that not only are you a friend, but you're a brother in Christ. Thank you so much, Richard. Really appreciate being on. It's been such an honor to be with you guys today. All right, guys. So remember, um, you know, something that Booker T. Washington says that Oprah talks about all the time. The best way to help yourself 
is to help somebody else. So guys, like my t-shirt says, today I decide. Guys, you can decide whether you become a victim or a victor today. So make sure you subscribe to the show. Make sure you leave a comment because every day we're bringing value like this and it's always free. Guys, have an amazing week. And remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is butt up. Chris, have an amazing week, brother. God bless you. You too. Thanks. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new T-shirt line that's coming out. Hats coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www dot richard dot net check us out leave us a note tell us what you'd like and we'll actually send it to you the new website is being built so if you guys want to our book is out there on amazon it's called a hero's journey from darkness to light definitely check it out it talks about my story but it also talks about how to survive depression how to survive addiction all right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives.